Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for this time. So grateful that you have allowed us to see the beauty and vastness of the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. We now depend on your Holy Spirit to be able to see and experience and even scratch the surface of such a vast love that is ours in Christ. I think about your word that says that, God, your love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his ministry now in this time. We need his ministry now in our lives and in our hearts. So now, Lord, we ask, pour this love into us through your spirit. Stretch us beyond anything we could imagine so that we may experience your fullness. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, when Michelle, my, my now wife, and I were teenagers, she got me a very sentimental gift for our three-month dating anniversary. This is a big deal. And what she gave me was three clipped long stem roses. And on them was a little note, and it said, I will stop loving you the day the last rose dies. Now, is this a sick joke? Like, is this, are you breaking up with me on our anniversary? What's going on here? What I did not notice is that one of them was artificial and it was never going to die. All right? That's, uh, hey, teenagers, that one's for free. That's really cute. Never ending love. Love without bounds. My endless love right? It's what we sing about. It's what we celebrate. It's what we cherish. It's what we were created for. It's what we long for. And we will be let down and we're going to be disappointed. And we're eventually all going to be hurt by anything less. I think we all, to some extent, have felt the sting of a broken heart where you thought it was lasting love and you found out that it was not. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a best friend. Maybe it was a spouse or a romantic partner. 
I think one of the saddest statements that exists in human history is the statement, I thought they loved me. I thought they loved me. But the good news that we have here in the scriptures is that our heart's infinite capacity to desire love is met by Jesus's infinite capacity to give love. In fact, we're told here that he can do, he is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or imagine or desire, including loving us. During the month of Advent, you've reflected on Jesus, his hope, the peace, the joy that he brings today. We're going to be focused on the theme of love. John Owen once said that we are never nearer to Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement at the unspeakable love, at his unspeakable love. So that is my goal this morning, is to lead you to get lost in the endless, boundless love of Jesus Christ. The prayer that we have here in Ephesians chapter 3 is from the Apostle Paul. He is praying for the church, so he is praying for us and particularly for our experience of the love of Jesus Christ. He's praying into our experience of this love that for many of us can remain sort of just theoretical or maybe heartwarming at best. Verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So a love that is wider than we can fathom, stretches further than time can measure. It's higher than the highest heaven above, deeper than the grave below. So if you're taking notes this morning, where we're going to begin is the breadth of Christ's love. What is the breadth or what is the width of Christ's love for us? Well, it is greater than we could ever imagine. Maybe you remember the scene from The Lion King where Mufasa takes his young cub son out on that rock cliff. What he says to his son is, everything the light touches is our kingdom. Everything the light touches is our kingdom. A theologian named Abraham Kuyper described it as every square inch of existence, to the furthest reaches of creation. In Psalm 139, David asks a really important question. He asks, where shall I flee from your presence? In other words, how far do I have to go that you can't go any further, God? How far do I have to go to then finally discover the boundaries of your loving reach? And the conclusion that he comes to in Psalm 139 is this. If I ascended to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take up the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The love of Christ, which reaches to the furthest points. There's a line um, from the famous Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, that we actually unfortunately cut out. Uh, it, it just doesn't like fit in well to like the target background music or whatever. 
but it's probably one of the most, it's the richest line in, in the song. It says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, for as the curse is found, for as the curse is found. What this hymn is referring to is the curse that came upon humanity and all of creation through Adam and Eve's rebellion in Genesis chapter 3. In fact, we read this, Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles. Now hang on to that phrase there, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So like a disease or a virus or an invasive plant species, the sin, the, the curse of sin has touched everything and everyone. It has brought death. It's brought strife. It's brought sickness. It's brought fear. It's brought brokenness. It's brought barrenness. It's brought pain. No one escapes. No one is immune to the furthest reaches. Years ago, after a terrorist attack in Europe, a, a British poet wrote these words. Later that night, I held an atlas in my lap, ran my fingers across the whole world and whispered, where does it hurt? It answered, everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. So Advent is our opportunity to ask this really important question, where does it hurt? To pause and to honestly assess where is the pain point? in my life? Where's the pain point in my family? Where's the pain point in our community? Where's the pain points in our world? To honestly assess this. And God's people have to honestly answer. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. But the scope of this pain and the extent of our losses and the reach of the curse, we're told, cannot outrun God's grace or healing. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say elsewhere in Romans chapter 5 that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the reality is that the reach of the curse is wide. But the reach of Christ's love is even wider. And his love is healing, and it's a transforming love. No person, no circumstance, no hopeless situation, no pain, nothing is too far gone for the breath of his love. And this helps us considerably. And this helps us really, even theologically, to to understand the notion of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns on the cross. Remember, thorns and thistles. The curse brought thorns and thistles. The cross, he bears that crown of thorns. What's happening on the cross? What's happening is Jesus is shedding his blood for us. What's happening is the curse that was pronounced over humanity is now upon the shoulders of Christ. He's bearing the curse. He's reversing its effects. He's making it possible so that his blessings may flow for as the curse is found far as the curse is found, the breath of Christ's love. Secondly, we see the length of Christ's love. You guys still with me? 
Okay. The length of Christ's love. You can remind me every once in a while, by the way. Amen. The length of Christ's love. How long is Christ's love? It stretches across time. I remember reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to our kids. And in it, it often reminds us that the love of God is described like this. It's wonderful, never stopping, and never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. A love that reaches into our past, that is with us in our present, and greets us in our future. Now, consider the ways that we love people and things. For all of us, our love is something that had a start date. It doesn't matter how much you love someone or love something. There was a moment when you didn't love them or love it, and then you began to love them. That moment where you realize that that special person in your life, I think I'm falling in love with them. Is this love? Is this butterflies? No, it's probably lust, but you, yeah, it's, yeah. Or I remember seeing my, my eldest child on an ultrasound for the very first time, a little jumping peanut, and just thinking, like, I, I don't, I've never even met them, and I love them. There was a start date. Every kind of love that we have and experience, no matter how rich, robust, how long-lasting that love is, it has a starting point. But listen, Jesus never started loving you. Jeremiah chapter 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. So what's being described here is an everlasting love. No beginning, no end. I love the way that Gerhardus Voss put it. He said, the best proof that he will never cease to love us lies in that he never began. Sit on that one for just a minute. The best proof that God will never cease to love us lies in the fact that he never began. Which means that there was never a moment where Jesus said, okay, all right, I'm ready. They finally get it. Now I'll love them. They finally have got their life together. Now I'll love them. They'll fi- they finally deserve such a, a vast love. Because there was never a start point, it means that there can be no end. There's no point where Jesus will say, you know what, I'm through. I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired of loving them. Doesn't matter how much I love them. It seems like they continue to reject it. I'm through. No beginning and no end. C.S. Lewis said that he loves us not because we are so lovable, but because he is love. God doesn't have an on and off switch when it comes to his love. It's not conditional. It's not conditioned on our deserving it. Now they're a lovable people. It's who he is. And when God loves us, he's simply being true to who he is. Jesus' love is so much better and bigger than our loves. His eternal capacity to love goes further than we could ever imagine. The apostle Paul, in fact, begins this 
epic letter of Ephesians like this in Ephesians chapter one. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Listen to these words. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So at the heart of God's eternal plan is God's eternal love. And not just a general, vague, showering with love, not like an, you know, like an Oprah show where every, look under your seat, everyone's got a gift. <laughs> it's a particular love. It's a very particular love. In fact, it says he chose us. So the Bible says that before the world was ever made, before the moon or the stars or the earth existed, before man roamed the earth, before you could do anything good for God, before you loved him, before you could do anything to screw it up, before you rejected it, before you ever had a chance to do anything, God's love was already there, perfect and complete and awaiting his people and awaiting his people. So for all of our regrets over the past, on the micro level, When you go to bed at night and you recall all of the events of the day and you're like, man, I just wish I would have done that differently. Gosh, I'm sick to my stomach. I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I would have handled that differently. On the macro level, those things from 10, 15, 20 years ago that still grip you with regret to this day. Christ's perfect love is there. And for all of your dread about the future, Gosh, how is this going to work out? Where's this thing going? What's my children? What what are my children going to face in this world? What are they going to experience? For all of our dread of the future, Christ's love is there as well. And for all of our present fears and anxieties, longings and dreams, Christ's love meets us perfectly in the present. Third, We see the height of Christ's love. Now, appreciating the Christmas story, the incarnation, which means the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, taking on flesh and blood and dwelling among us and with us, in order to appreciate the incarnation, we have to step back for just a minute and acknowledge the heights from which Christ descended to come to be with us. What Jesus left to be born. And also what he returned to experience in his ascension. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it beautifully when he said, we have become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We're indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth And lays claim to us. This is the story of Christmas. The God of the universe. 
draws near and says, mine. So long before the shepherds witnessed a baby lying in a manger, we're actually told that hundreds of years before the incarnation, the prophet Isaiah saw him seated on his heavenly throne. We're told in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Lord of hosts, rather. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, follow me on this. What is Isaiah seeing? Specifically, who? The gospel writer John in the New Testament clarifies that this breathtaking vision that Isaiah receives is not just God in a general sense, which I think many of us have in our minds. Not just some big, blurry, bright, sort of vague, divine being just kind of there on the throne. John chapter 12 says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus's glory and spoke about him. He saw Jesus. Jesus seated on the throne. Jesus high and lifted up. Jesus crowned in glory. Jesus shaking the thresholds of heaven. Jesus causing angels to tremble. Jesus being praised as holy, holy, holy. This Jesus who is transcendent, high and lifted up, who dwells in unapproachable light has drawn near to dwell with us and to dwell within us. The psalmist in Psalm 36 says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. It reaches to the heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. So imagine in your heart now, just the the steadfast love stretching to the heavens. How did it get there? Christ brought it there when he was raised and ascended and seated at the right hand of God. How do we know that the love of God reaches to the heavens? Because Christ is seated there. Because Christ is there. And what this means is that there's nothing now insurmountable for him. No mountain too big. No problem too great. And when we begin to see just how great and vast the love of Jesus Christ is, we begin to recognize how small everything else is. What looms so big in your life right now, what just seems so insurmountable, our fears, our problems, our pains, our annoyances, they're all put in right perspective in light, the height of Christ's love. Which brings us forth and finally to the depth of Christ's love. How deep is Christ's love for us? Infinitely deep. The incarnation of Jesus means that God has gone to infinite lengths to come 
and draw near to us. Now, this is especially important for those of us who are familiar with the story. Those of us who have been around the block for a while, we know the Christmas story. We know how it goes. For those of us who are quite content to just hear the message of Christ coming, maybe it warms our hearts. Maybe it stirs us just a little bit. But I think for a lot of us, especially those of us who are familiar with the story, we're not experiencing the person of Jesus in our depths. So the question is, how near is Christ? And this is where it gets personal. He is nearer to you than you are to yourself. St. Augustine would put it this way, you are more inward to me than my own inward parts. The prayer that Paul is making for us here in Ephesians is, quote, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So the love of Christ reaches down into the depths of our soul. That is the aim of this prayer. That as Christ resides in our hearts, that the spirit would then strengthen us to recognize and experience him there, that we would meet him there in the depths, in the deep places where your fears, your secrets, your insecurities, your inordinate desires, your forgotten dreams, your emotional wounds, where it all resides. The places that we often avoid are the very places that Jesus moves close to. Did you know? That some historians believe that Jesus, and this may shatter your whole nativity uh, thoughts here, but historians believe that Jesus was not born in a stable, but a cave. And we'll never know, but I find this interesting because what that means is the possibility, at least, is that from day one, we see Jesus is not afraid to reside in cavernous places. The unreached, uninhabited, dark lifeless, off-limits, locked-up places of our souls, those are the very places that Jesus moves toward. Eddie Hillisum once said that there's a deep well inside me, and in it dwells God, and sometimes I'm there too. There's a deep well in me. God's always there. Sometimes I'm there too. Sometimes you're there too. For the Christian, Jesus is meeting you in the depths of your soul. Jesus is going places that you probably are unwilling to go. He's already there. The the question is not, is Jesus present? The question is, are you meeting him there? And are you willing to face what you're going to find when you show up there with him? An author put it this way, to stay in God's presence is like swimming in the ocean. Immense, frightening, powerful, beautiful. Where deep calls to deep, where answers don't come easily, where pain is exposed rather than covered up, where healing requires transformation. The process of our emotional healing, the process of our spiritual growth, The process of just overall life change depends on the kind of faith 
that number one, recognizes Jesus in the depths, but then is willing to be there with him. A kind of faith that is honest with what we discover and then responds honestly in confession. The love of Christ also reaches into the depths of our sorrow. The incarnation of Jesus means there's nothing in our human experience that Jesus is unwilling to experience himself. Our pain, our temptations, and even our sorrows. When when we're going through very challenging times in our lives, things that are very unique to us, it is very easy to think, No one understands what I'm going through. Maybe you've been there. No, they just don't get it. And unfortunately, this mindset causes us to push away people that are drawing near. You just don't understand. The way you said that, you just, you don't understand. And what ends up happening is we just isolate ourselves all the more. It could be the feeling of betrayal. It could be the feeling of loneliness, the feeling of abandonment. Maybe you're facing terminal illness. Maybe you're experiencing the death of a loved one. What I'm talking about is that that unspeakable sorrow. When when asked, like, how are you doing? You just don't have words to describe it. I just can't. I just can't. And while those situations are very unique to us, the reality is that we're not alone. We can no longer say, No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows what it's like to experience this. Because the Bible tells us actually there is. And Jesus knows not just intellectually, but experientially. Hebrews chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Everything we experience, he experiences with us. And then finally, the love of Christ reaches down into the depths of our sin and our suffering. I love uh, history. September 1940, a decorated captain in the Polish military did the unthinkable. He did something that would change the world as we know it. In his own words, he said, I bid farewell to everything I had known on earth. And what he did was he assumed as a decorated Polish uh, captain, part of the allied troops, he assumed a Jewish identity. He allowed himself to be arrested. He subjected himself to an experience of Auschwitz, the infamous concentration camp. Uh, He intentionally entered into the depths of suffering in order to gain intel from within and then relay those messages to the allied troops. And his transformation was striking from a recognized captain to inmate number 4859, crossing into enemy territory, being among the slave, enslaved, being among the dying. He was despised. He was beaten. He was threatened at the brink of death. And there he spent years until he finally escaped. One author described his mission as one that went past the gates of horror and into hell on earth for the sake of many. Think about that statement. Past the gates of horror and into hell on earth for the sake of many. Does it sound familiar? Illustrates the final dimension that Paul is describing here, the depths of Christ's love. 
Jesus bid farewell to the life that he knew. He assumed a Jewish identity, the son of a poor Jewish family. He crossed over enemy lines. He was despised. He was beaten, not just on the brink of death, but all the way in it on the cross, past the gates of horror into hell for the sake of many. There's a line in the, the old apostles creed. Well, there's two lines that are challenging for Protestant Christians, but one I have in mind. And uh, every time we read it as a church, there's always people that are just kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. Maybe you're familiar. It says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. And here it is. He descended to hell. And on the third day, he rose again. There's been a lot of debate about what exactly that means. Uh, Eastern Orthodox Church, they have lots of art depicting Jesus in this sort of military victory, storming the gates of hell. The Protestant reformers believed that Jesus descended into hell on the cross when he experienced the full weight of the wrath of God poured out on him. Others believe that he descended into hell on Saturday as he was buried. We, we can't know exactly what was intended by that statement in the Apostles' Creed, but what we do know from scriptures is that Jesus descended. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth. 1 Peter chapter 3 says that Jesus went and proclaimed the good news to the spirits in prison. I love this picture. In Revelation chapter 1, it says that Jesus died but arose with the keys of death and Hades into the depths because of our sin and then rising back out. You know, we tell our kids, I love you to the moon and back. I love you to the moon and back, which is obviously hyperbolic. You, you, your vertical is a foot max. <laughs> I love you to the moon and back. But the gospel proclaims to us something even better and something even truer. He loves us to the grave and back. He loves us to Hades and back. He loves us to hell and back. How deep is Christ's love? It is deeper than the deepest pit of hell. And since he loves us to hell and back, what we can be sure of is that there's nothing that he will be unwilling to do to rescue us now. There is no depths that Jesus is now unwilling to plunge himself into to meet us in love and to raise us back out in grace. He's too invested now. He's in too deep to back out on you now to hell and back. Here's what I want to do. I want to, I've totally lost track of time. I have no idea how much longer I have. So just shut me down if I need to. Do I have five more minutes? Five-ish. Okay. It's all relative. I want, I want to apply this with two applications for you guys, personal and as a church. The first is this, open wide your life to Jesus. I mean, if this is the vast love of Jesus Christ, what is our response? We need to open our lives to Jesus. My son's got a, an appointment tomorrow, so I've been thinking about the dentist a lot lately. Every time I go to the dentist, there's that moment where the dentist or the dental hygienist says, okay, open wide. And for some reason, it's never wide enough for them, right? Like, wider, wider. I'm like, I'm going as far as I can here. I want you to hear that. 
being spoken over your life. Wider. 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 In the Psalms, the Lord says this, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Listen to these words. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Advent isn't asking you to decrease your desires. It's not asking you to manage, manage your expectations about God. No, this is an invitation to open wide in order to experience the abundance of Jesus Christ so that we are so filled with the fullness of God, we've got no space for the trivial. So that we're so filled to the brim with the goodness of God, we've got no room left for anything else. Remember, your capacity to crave love will never exceed Christ's ability to give it. As the Christmas hymn says, let every heart prepare him room, open wide to Christ. And then secondly, as a church, Reality Carp, open wide your doors to others. If this is true, if the love of Jesus is this vast, this boundless, it it just has to change the way that we gather as a church. It has to change the way that we engage with our communities. And it's got to fill us with this thought every time that we gather. There's always room for more. There's always room for more. We don't ever have to worry about Christ's love being spread too thin. There's always room for more. Our willingness to invite others to come And to receive what Christ has given to us demonstrates how wide we believe this love is. How vast this love is. And if this church or the church I get to serve ever becomes just about us, then shut the doors. Be done. The church just becomes about us and serving the needs of the members and creating a comfortable space where we can carry out our Christianity, then we're already done for. And we're already done for. There's a call to worship that a church back east reads every time that they gather. And I love this. And other churches have adopted this as a call to worship. And it puts this vision into words beautifully. It says this, to all who are weary, and in need of rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who fall and desire victory. To all who sin and need a savior. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And to whoever else will come. This church opens wide her doors to offer welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, the lover of his enemies, the defender of the weak, and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. It's my challenge to you. Open wide your life to the abundance of Jesus Christ. And Reality Carp, open wide those doors and watch what God will do. Amen? Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that we cannot 
and we'll never wrap our minds around the vastness of your love. So at any point, Lord, today, if we were challenged, baffled, bothered, disrupted, had questions, or even said, I don't know about that. I pray that you would meet us in those places and remind us that you are bigger and better than we could ever imagine. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or imagine. Lord, our desire is not to wrap our minds around you as if we can control who you are or control your love. Lord, we want to be lost in this unspeakable love. Even now as we respond, Lord, even now as we worship and we kneel before you, lead us to get lost in this love. Embrace us with this love, Lord. I even get the sense, Lord, today that you desire to heal us with this love. Shock us with how great this love is. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.